A revised College Board course on African American Studies sparked outrage. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Wilkin Brutus. The College Board released its final version of an Advanced Placement African American Studies course. That's after Florida's Department of Education rejected a preliminary curriculum. We examine why black civic leaders continue to blast the state's decision. Next, we take a look at a nursing school diploma scam involving schools in several states, including three in South Florida. Local health professionals provide their insights surrounding the federal fraud case. Finally, an investigation conducted by Floodlight and NPR linked Florida Power and Light to multiple scandals. A reporter provides a peek into the developments. All of that today on the South Florida Roundup. I'm Wilkin Brutus and welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Two weeks ago, Florida's Department of Education rejected parts of the College Board's Advanced Placement Curriculum for African American Studies aimed at public high school students in the upcoming school year. The administration claimed the AP course violated the state Stop Woke Act and that the syllabus featuring writers such as Angela Davis and Bell Hooks, quote, lacked educational value. The decision and explanation sparked national outrage. Recently, the College Board released the final version of the course, leaving out several black scholars and historical topics that the DeSantis administration deemed inappropriate. Due to the timing of the state's initial decision, black civic leaders across South Florida are blasting what they perceive as an unjust interference by the state. Joining us to, d- to provide an update to the controversy is Miami Herald's education reporter, Summer Brugal. Summer, how are you? Doing well. How are you? All is well. Thank you. Uh, Summer, the state's Stop Woke Act restricts how race can be taught in the classroom. In a tweet, the commissioner of education, Manny G- uh, Diaz Jr., called the initial curriculum, quote, woke indoctrination masquerading as education and he stressed the board should revise the course the revision is here how does the final framework differ from the preliminary course version what did they leave out yeah i think you know what they left out or what is perceived to be left out has been kind of the main topic of conversation this week um the uh the final framework was released uh, on wednesday um after you know much much anticipation and and you kind of said what was left out at, at the beginning of in your intro um but, you know a lot of what was left out was exactly the topics that the governor and um the florida department of education had raised concerns about um or i'll say you know seemingly left out because um you know we don't know exactly at what point those were um those topics and those topics include conversations around black queer studies the black lives matter movement uh black feminist literary thought and also conversations around reparations um so those are the kind of topics that that are seemingly absent from from the final framework um and and being called into question as to as to why um especially after the uh, the governor kind of pointed them out specifically those are some pretty heavy topics and speaking of that final framework uh did school districts see that final framework yet after it's been released uh yeah was there any opportunity for schools to actually um prepare for it um in terms of preparation for the final release college board has said um or did say you know when when it was released that no school district uh official no school districts uh or even, you know, 
the governor, a Department of Education, had seen the the framework before it was was finalized and and uh, had no kind of say in in the final product. Um, whether or not the school districts um, have seen it, uh, it has been published. I actually haven't. Um, ask that question. That's a good question to ask. So thank you for giving me some, another <laughs> question to ask the school district. Uh, they might not thank you for that. But but yeah, I, I, I would assume that the school districts have have seen it. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. Um, they haven't made it, you know, I don't know how, if they've reviewed it or, or anything like that, but it is public. Um, so I'd assume it's it's something that that would be of interest to, to school districts across the country. Yeah, definitely seems like a work in progress. And most of the narrative surrounding this particular con- controversy uh, surrounds what was taken out, right? What was omitted. Were there yeah. any subjects, new subjects included in the course? Yeah, that actually one of, one of the things that I think caught a couple people's, um, I guess, attention um, or something that was pointed out. Um, and a couple of stories that, that, that I read too, um, is, was this uh, idea for a research project titled Black Conservatism. Um, so that was one of the things that people really kind of pulled out. Um, you know, again, we, we, there were topics and there were lesson plans that were of a different name. Um, so you could say that that was, you know, there might've been some tweaking um, and, and some new elements to different lesson plans. Um, you know, I will say College Board throughout the process, uh, and, and, you know, especially before the release said that this was something that had been in development for quite some time. And just like every other AP course is something that is constantly being revised and updated. Um, so there could have been other new, uh, you know, tweaks, other new additions here and there. Um, but but that, that idea for a project is really something that stood out to people. Black conservatism uh, will be definitely interesting to see what scholars uh, are selected for that ideological position. Uh, Summer, in our previous coverage, academics discussed how this impacts the marketplace of ideas, right? Thoughts surrounding censorship and freedom of speech. And we explored the fear from many black parents and scholars who feel like this uh, is an overreach uh, from the state. Uh, it's Black History Month. Uh, have you spoken to members of the community? And if so, what are they saying? Yeah, you know, on on Wednesday, um, when when the framework was released, uh, you know, we reached out to to people in the community. I spoke to, uh, you know, a couple of teachers. I also spoke to, uh, you know, people in the NAACP, um, and and there was definitely a a concern about the lack of uh, of these topics or or the seeming omission of of particularly these these topics and and more, I guess, of the recent topics too um, about. Um, the contributions of, of African Americans to the country more recently, um, and but a lot of the concern, at least on Wednesday, was about this perceived um, result that the governor's challenges had on on the final outcome. Um, but these are going to be conversations that I think are going to be ongoing. You know, like you said, this this class is is going to be coming next next year. Um, so I think these are conversations that we'll continue to have with people, and and once people and including myself have some some more time to really dive in uh, to the framework. Um, you know, it's almost like a 300 page document. So I think once we have time to really understand and dive deep, um, we'll be asking more questions about what specifics um, are concerning people and, or, or what things even are people praising at this moment. So so I think it'll it'll be an ongoing conversation. Absolutely ongoing. Uh, your report showed that more than 300 professors 
of African-American studies uh, from more than 200 colleges actually spoke out, uh, including folks from historically black colleges and universities. Stay with me. Um, I'm Wilkin Brutus. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Miami Herald Summer Brugal uh, is discussing why black leaders in our area are blasting the college board's changes to an AP African-American studies course. Call us 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Uh, The DeSantis administration has taken things a step further, Summer, by announcing an effort to block diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, and critical race theory from state colleges. What are his concerns there and how are people reacting to his rhetoric? Yeah, um, so this also came earlier this week, uh, a lot going on on the education front uh, in Florida, but but what he said and, and, and what kind of he, uh, um, I guess, challenged the higher university level is 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 this idea that, that you know, higher institutions are, are uh, imposing this ideological um, idea and, and kind of provoking political activism. Um, and that kind of falls in line with, with what we've been hearing um, kind of around education in general over the past, you know, handful of years about this, um, you know, quote, woke, excuse me, woke ideologies um, and this idea of indoctrination instead of education. Um, and so I think all of this kind of plays into that. Um, you know, specifically earlier this week, he, he you know, submitted this proposal or, or recommended this proposal that would prohibit state schools from supporting these programs or, or any activities related to critical race theory, like you mentioned. Um, and there was, you know, quick pushback from that. And, you know, I will say my colleagues have been the ones who have been really reporting on, on the higher level um, or higher education level. Um, so I myself haven't necessarily followed this so closely. Um, but what, what I do know is that, you know, the reaction from, you know, members, uh, you know, elected officials and, and also, uh, you know, organizations like the ACLU of Florida, um, you know, quickly pushed back on, on this idea um, and, and this proposal that, that was submitted by the governor. As of today, um, has the second term Republican governor or his administration issued any new statements yet? Um, regarding higher ed or regarding the, the AP course? Uh, regarding the AP course in particular. Okay. Um, I actually haven't seen one yet. I, I was, you know, looking for one yesterday and also on Wednesday. Um, I haven't seen one. That is definitely something that I think everybody is um, anxiously looking out for, um, just to kind of understand where the state is, where the governor is in reaction to this. Um, but but as of right now, I, um, I have not seen one, no. Yeah. And obviously this has felt like political football, um, specifically for Democrats. How are they responding to the release of the new framework? And have you heard from the local chapter of NAACP at all? Yeah, I have. Uh, I talked to Danielle Pierre earlier, um, earlier this week, um, and she, you know, she raised some concerns um, about this, um, you know, about this perceived removal uh, of these, of these topics. Um, and, you know, I think, she said, you know, there, there's, while this could be related to, to pedagogy, I, I, you know, I think there's concern that, 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 this, that this could be harmful for students or this could leave out important topics for students. Um, and see, so, yeah, I, I did speak to her earlier this week. Um, you know, other uh, elected officials um, also put out statements, you know, Florida Senator uh, Chevron Jones, 
um, you know, did make it a point to say that this is a, a monumental moment for education, given that this was, um, you know, this is a new course. This is the first time AP has introduced an African-American history studies course. Um, so I think he took the time to, to recognize that. But, you know, he did say, you know, nonetheless, this, this is part of um, a bigger effort by the administration, what he views to be kind of a, an attack on, um, on education. And, 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 so, and kind of an attempt to to redirect how students learn. Right. And some you've you've done an excellent job covering K to twelve education. Um, wh- where do we go from here? Um, is there anything else that you believe the general public should be aware of when it comes to the AP course in particular? Yeah, I think where do we go from here is a question that I've been sitting with too this week. Um, and I think reporters uh, all over the country and Florida are are you know looking at. But I think. As we kind of continue on, I think we're going to be looking at, you know, how this class uh, actually falls into place, um, what the governor uh, says about it, whether or not it it becomes um, an option for students, because it is an elective uh, course. This isn't a mandatory course. Um, How many students sign up for it if it does? Um, And I, I do think, you know, one of the things, like I said earlier, you know, as we continue to dive into this, you know, massive document, um, what other questions come from this um, and what other you know, cha- potential challenges will also come from this. Uh, and that's a great distinction to make that this is an elective course. And f- from the last segment that we produced last week, um, we heard that a lot of parents uh, are now feeling motivated to take education into their own hands when it comes to black history. Uh, Summer Brugal is the K-12 education reporter for the Miami Herald. Summer, thank you so much for your reporting and your update. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Still to come, healthcare professionals provide their insights on a federal fraud case involving nursing degrees in Florida. 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. I'm Wilkin Brutus. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN, 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. Federal authorities in Florida have brought charges against 25 people who allegedly orchestrated a wire fraud scheme that created an illegal shortcut for aspiring nurses to get licensed and find employment in various states. Recently, unsealed federal grand jury indictments alleged the defendants took part in a scam that sold more than 7,600 fraudulent nursing degree diplomas from Siena College in Broward County, Sacred Heart International Institute in Broward County, and Palm Beach School of Nursing in Palm Beach County. The investigation, dubbed Operation Nightingale, has created public concerns regarding safety and trust. As reassurance, two hospital systems, Jackson Health and Memorial Healthcare, told WLRN that they undergo a vigorous vetting process for all nurse candidates through various background checks measures. In their statement, Memorial Hospital says they have not been affected by the situation. Joining us to discuss the impact of the federal investigation is Dr. Bowie, an assistant dean in the Christine E. Lynn College of Nursing at Florida Atlantic University, Dr. Gwen Randall, seasoned nurse anesthetist and member of Palm Beach County Black Nurses Association. We also have reporter Jay Weaver. He covers the federal courts for the Miami Herald. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for having having us. Uh, let's start with you, Jay. Um, take me through the meat of the story. What are 
federal mm-hmm. authorities saying and court records showing in regards to how much money nurse, nursing students pay to basically cheat their way into hospitals and clinics? Well, I write a lot about fraud in South Florida, all types, financial fraud on down. And this particular story went absolutely viral, not only in Florida, but across the country. And the reason why is because, as the U.S. attorney Mark LaPointe pointed out at a news conference, these students were taking shortcuts. They were essentially obtaining these certificates um, their diplomas, as well as transcripts, that they had attended some sort of two-year college at these institutions that you mentioned in your introduction. And the reality is they were getting no training whatsoever. And so each of them was paying $10,000 for an LPN degree and up to $15,000, $17,000 for a um, RN degree. And A lot of them already had nursing backgrounds, and a lot of them were from the Haitian American community, were literally preyed upon by these schools, by the Haitian American operators of these nursing schools. And so in order for them to sit for an exam in New York State, for example, where you can take the nursing exam over and over again, you need to get a diploma. And so this was that shortcut. You didn't have to go through a two-year program with rigorous clinical and and, and, and studies. Um, so you really could obtain one of these degrees and, and cut right to the head of the line. Now of the 7,600, about a third or 2,400 actually sat for the exam and passed it. And in doing so, they were able to work in a variety of um, states because New York uh, New York's um, situation allows them to to pass the exam there and study in a lot of other states. And your experts here can probably comment more about that. But that's the gist of it. Big impact, a big scare, big concern about whether there was any public uh, you know, harm to anyone. Um, the feds say no. I, I can't really be certain. Take their word for it. They right, say right. That- how, how do you even quantify that, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, and, and to wrap up a little bit here, the FBI said they have contacted every single state nursing board about this problem and given names to all of them. So the word is out. The investigation continues. Um, and it's not just these schools or this state. It's Texas. It's New Jersey. It's New York. It's Maryland. It's Virginia. Uh, it's Delaware. There are others. And when did the investigation start? What Was this in the making for so many years? No, it started in 2019. And before they made this big round of arrests, they had already arrested at least four, possibly more suspects in connection with these schools, Palm Beach, Siena College, and some businesses in the Fort Lauderdale area that had been in cahoots working um, on recruiting these students and offering them the opportunity to take this shortcut with these bogus um, diplomas and certificates. Um, And so there was an undercover operation and an undercover um, employee and or source for the FBI went through the process and was able to obtain a LPN degree in 13 days from Palm Beach. And it, it went very quickly. It went according to plan. And that became sort of the the confirmation of what was going on here. And then these original three or four um, targets of the investigation then started cooperating and gave up a lot more names. And that led to the bigger uh, takedown that just occurred last week. And and from my understanding, 
um, the three schools who are who allegedly sold the fake nurse diplomas are not operating anymore, correct? That's correct. I mean, they were already on probation for having very low passage rates. Uh, two of the three had, had been shut down by the state. One was still operating. Um, I believe it was Sacred Heart. Siena and Palm Beach had been closed. But yes, they, they, they were really not, you know, valid, functional, licensed um, schools. So uh, as a result, you know, the, 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 these operators um, faced uh, prison time and will face prison time. And these others that have been drawn into this dragnet have, uh, you know, obviously they're going to be defending themselves, but the evidence is pretty strong because right. there's, there's both forensic evidence, documentary evidence, record evidence, as well as cooperating witnesses and even, you know, some undercover recordings as well. So um, it's all there. Now, and- now, now Jay, your, your report shows that a lot of students who purchased degrees, including people with legitimate LPN licenses, were from the Haitian American community in South Florida. Anyone who knows that community knows that nursing is a popular career aspiration. So what happens to those students who pass the nursing exam? Will, will they face charges? No, they won't face charges, but they may have their, not may, it's likely if they're found out and confronted that they'll have their licenses revoked in these respective states where they're, wherever they're operating and they'll probably be fired. And of course, this is a huge problem that your experts can can address because there's a nursing shortage, not only in Florida, but across the country, especially in, you know, in both metropolitan and in rural areas. So, you know, taking a few thousand nurses out of the out of circulation could have an impact. I couldn't tell you how much, you know, but but I would imagine it could have an impact. Right, right. Let's segue to Dr. Louise uh, Bowie. Um, she's an assistant dean in the uh, Christine Elin College of Nursing at Florida Atlantic University. Dr. Bowie, you've been in the medical field for more than thirty years, and you're that's correct. Yeah, and, and you're teaching the profession to the, to the next generation. You have a, a clear passion for what you do. Uh, what were your first thoughts when you heard the news that nursing students were actually purchasing their way into nursing? Well, I was really appalled at the level of greed and at the same time, the disrespect for ethical values for the nursing profession and also the disregard for patient safety for our communities and wherever these uh, potential nurses would be practicing. So that was very disconcerting. What, what, what do you think? motivates a nursing student to cheat their way into the field, into a hospital or a clinic? Well, I don't, um, the way I see it, I see it's a lack of personal and ethical values. And also the fact that maybe some of the students have tried and failed out of many nursing programs. and, uh, And also the fraudulent option was available and they went for it. So I think it's that disregard, and you know, as I mentioned, for ethical values of the profession and and disregard for for safety of um, in in the practice setting. Right, and there are other pressures as well, as I mentioned with Jay. Um, you're, you're the former co-chair of the National Black Nurses Association's Women's Health Committee. Um, sure. In regards to public safety, do you think news like this can harm the integrity of the profession here in Florida or the reputation of nurses, specifically Haitian nurses? Um, I don't believe so that it will tarnish the reputation of 
nurses who went to school, completed all their trainings and went to accredited schools and are um, functioning at the highest level and are doing amazing uh, job in the community, I don't think it will impact um, their reputation because what 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 we are doing, we're doing it well uh, with the exception of what other folks are doing. So you have two sides of it, but for for those who are doing it right, they will continue to do it right and excel. Right. Um, and I want to segue to uh, Dr. Gwen Randall, um, a seasoned nurse and member of the Palm Beach County Black Nurses Association. Dr. Randall, um, the nursing shortage, how much of that perhaps caused some of the pressures to sort of uh, create a, a, a back channel <laughs> into the nursing industry? Uh, yeah, in the United States, it's it's really well known fact that there's a critical nursing shortage um, to be able to meet the future of healthcare demands. So in the state of Florida, for an example, there are less than 10 nurses per 1,000 people for a population of roughly 21 million. So the perpetrators, I think, capitalized on that knowledge and ventured out on a very lucrative scheme to shortcut the nursing profession for state licensure. Let's face it, like everybody who enters into a nursing program is not going to be a nurse. Everybody who wants to be a nurse is not going to be a nurse. Everybody who wants to be a nurse can't be a nurse. So um, having been a university professor at um, two undergraduate programs, there's very stringent admission criteria, there's program rigor, um, and there's a, a lot of investment in time associated with the acceptance into like a, a legitimate accredited program. So, I mean, if they don't really um, match up to those kinds of things, or like Dr. Bui has already said, maybe they were in another program and they really didn't pass, so now this is another avenue for them. The schools that were involved were what we call for-profit schools, which pretty much dedicate a portion of their tuition fees to, uh, which are generally higher anyway, directly to their investors and, and to non-educational spending like marketing. So the educational requirements may not be as stringent as not-for-profit not schools, and the educational quality really may not be stellar. So yes, um, there is a big problem, and I think that it, it was capitalized on the fact that we do have this shortage. And, and let's stay on that. I think that's a great point you've raised. Let's stay on a market angle here. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's culture pressures and there are market pressures. How difficult is it to get a nursing degree in Florida? Um, Louise, do, would you yes, like to? I, I can I can jump in um, yeah. to that. You, you have to realize, I don't think it's simply how difficult it is to get a nursing degree in Florida. It's overall, but I'll give you some statistics in Florida. The Florida Center for Nursing actually just released uh, their report for 2021 and 2022 data. And basically that uh, report provides information about Florida nursing programs, capacity, enrollment, graduates, and demographics, and so on. So it's readily available on um, on their webpage. But for, um, for the South region, I was able to pull some data for the South region and the Southeast region. So for Broward and Dade, admission uh, rate for 
practical nursing was 78%. And for Southeast, it was 65%. And Palm Beach is itself Southeast area. For associate degree nursing in South region was 85% admission. So that means you have 15% of students who do, who do um, apply, but then get admitted. But listen to this. For Broward and Dade, uh, for bachelor's degree programs, only 51% were admitted to this program. And in Palm Beach County in the Southeast region, 79%. So you have um, a lot of qualified applicants who applied for these programs. And, um, and then uh, we have other issues as well in terms of faculty, and, um, you know, faculty, but you have, um, the rate, the admission rate is low for qualified applicants. So that in itself makes it difficult to obtain a nursing degree, not just in, um, um, we, we gave you the data for Florida and just for mm -hmm. South Florida. But if you want the full detail about Florida, you can um, get gather all of that from the Florida Center for Nursing sure. report that was just released on the 31st of January this year. And Dr. Bowie, why the disparity in those numbers? Um, actually, so for you, you have, uh, you know, to, con to, to, to do a nursing program, you need to have enough faculty. Um, and we have the largest shortage, the biggest shortage in the nursing workforce is actually faculty. Mm -hmm. So you need enough faculty, you need enough clinical settings, placements for the students, and we have limited uh, access in those areas for clinical placement, and you need funding. Yeah. And we know also that, um, you know, the, the pay rate for nursing faculty is uh, low compared to nurses working in the field. So you have all of these factors that contribute to those low number, these low numbers. Right. Stay with me. I'm Wilkin Brutus. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Join the conversation, 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Uh, Dr. Randall, you talked about the for-profit schools at one point. Some of these for-profit nursing schools often change the course requirements for students, costing mm -hmm. them more money and yeah. taking more time for them to actually finish. How big of a barrier is this? This is it's just a large barrier because it's financial and plus it's time. And then what the, the problem at the end of the day is that so many times the students have all this debt once they graduate and they're still not able to pass boards. So to take their money and then really not educate them fully so that they would be successful and be good patient advocates is really very, it's a crime in and of itself. Right, and, and you're part of um, the Palm Beach County Black Nurses Association. Take me into what it's like to be a nurse in these types of associations. How, how is the association responding to this news? Well, the association, um, our national organization um, basically, I, I have not heard a response. Um, Dr. Bowie, have you heard a general response from the organization from the national level? Um, I was able to streamline uh, 
we had an event yesterday, uh, NBNA on Capitol Hill, yeah. and um, Dr. Dawson actually mentioned about that. Mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless, everyone is really, you know, appalled about the situation. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, is that it's a it's a minority mm -hmm. um, of nurses who have been able to to gain access, you know, for lack of a better word, to the nursing profession and to get a, a license to practice compared to uh, the the other you know the other side the the numbers of nurses who are highly qualified and and doing a great job, right? right. And I don't really think that in terms of how the boards are given and all the qualifications for the boards and what you have to do to even take boards in terms of identification and all those kind of things, I, I don't think that any of those factors could have alleviated this kind of problem if. Ever, if the students, from my understanding, were actually being coached on how to pass the boards. That's so, right. you know, you can't really kind of pinpoint the problem. I think all the systems are in place, but someone figured out how to actually bypass that system. And, and there are LPNs who actually passed the test, but then actually paid for a, a, a different certification. Is, is that, um, does that surprise you as well to have someone who has the cognitive ability to pass the test and the wherewithal but still manage to pay for uh, another sort of certification did that surprise oh. you at all yeah no because there there's a different level um for an lpn to practice versus an rn there's also a different pay scale for an lpn to practice versus an rn so ultimately if you want to practice and you want to practice to you know your full level then a lot of LPNs, people will start off as nursing assistants and then they'll take a course and then they become LPNs and they go from LPNs to RNs, you know, in legitimate programs. So pretty much that trajectory is normal. Right. And, and thanks for clarifying the, the different tiers and, and the process it takes to achieve each one. Um, mm -hmm. Let's let's stick to the patients. We've we've been talking about the impact it may have on nurses in regards to this federal investigation. Um, what, what are your thoughts about how patients are potentially reacting to this news if they are aware of it? Yeah. So for the past 21 years, nursing has been ranked as one of the most trusted professions, and that's evidenced by Gallup you know, honesty and integrity polls. So this scheme can definitely impact, I think, the trustworthiness of nursing professionals. Like it's certainly causing the question, I certainly in my mind and also in minds of some of the patients in your family, it's like, are you the real nurse or are you the fake nurse? I mean, especially among some populations. So this scheme I think has jeopardized public safety. Um, I think it has tarnished the reputation of nurses and it kind of, I would think, erodes patients' trust because already I've had people say, are you the real nurse or are you the fake nurse? Now, whether that's a joke or whether it's not, it's still in the forefront of people's minds. And so when someone brings their loved one to the hospital for care, they want to know that that individual who's providing care is competent, they're skilled, they're caring, and all of those kind of things. So I think there may be questions asked of nurses. Are you the real nurse or are you the fake one? And I don't think people should be offended, but I mean, I think that's going to be a reality in some populations, absolutely. Dr. Gwendo or Dr. Randall? Yes. 
Um, what what are your thoughts on what she just said about patients and their concerns? Because even jokes, even satire, uh, concerns can undergird satire itself. What what are your thoughts about how nurses can maintain trust in uh, in this profession uh, given the federal investigation? You were referring to Aurelian Bowie, Doctor Aurelian Bowie, uh, Doctor uh, Randall. Oh, okay. uh, Doctor Randall, that was just speaking. Oh, I'm sorry, Bowie. <laughs> I got confused. <laughs> My apologies. That's okay. <laughs> That's myself. okay. All right, Dr. Aurelian Bowie here. Um, I I totally agree with what Dr. Randall mentioned, and uh, and it is you know it, it's I think for all of us, even for me as a um, as a nurse and nurse practitioner, you know to all to to not be afraid to ask the questions, and um, it may. Um, it it, it 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 may be sensitive, but at the same time, a patient has the right to know who's taking care of them, yeah, and to feel safe and to yeah. ask all questions, details about everything that is going on. Mm-hmm. As a nurse myself, I will do that for any nurse who's taking care of me. So it is their right to actually ask those questions. Thank you both. One second. Uh, Jay Weaver is the federal court reporter for the Miami Herald. He was with us at the top of the segment. Uh, Dr. Gwen Randall uh, is a seasoned nurse and member of the Palm Beach County Black Nurses Association. And Dr. Luis Bowie is a new assistant dean of executive and continuing education and academic practice partnerships at Florida Atlantic University. Thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Still to come, a major investigation by a news collaborative has linked Florida Power and Light to multiple scandals. 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. I'm Wilkin Brutus. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. This next story is complicated. But the players are familiar. The critical spotlight is on Florida Power and Light after an investigation conducted by Floodlight and NPR linked FPL to multiple scandals. FPL CEO Eric Stalagy has been forced to step down amid allegations of campaign finance violations, media manipulation and the surveillance of critical journalists. There are many moving parts in the story, but thankfully we have Mario Riza here in the building with us to help us go through this issue. He's an investigative reporter with Floodlight News, a nonprofit environmental news collaborative. Mario, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, folks. Thanks for having me on. Man, I think I butchered the last name of FPL CEO. I believe it's Salagi. Salagi. But I yeah. still mess that up sometimes, so I, I'm going to preemptively apologize if I get it wrong. <laughs> I apologize for getting it wrong myself. Uh, now, Mario, uh, can you take us through the exact allegations being levied here. Could you briefly tell us where Floodlight and NPR started this investigation? Absolutely. Um, So I I think if if we step back, uh, this investigation really begins with a lot of the wonderful reporting that was done in the wake of the 2020 election by the Miami Herald, the Orlando Sentinel, uh, and Glenna Milberg uh, about the ghost candidates, right? These were spoiler candidates planted in three separate races across Florida for state Senate. Because of that investigation, um, the Orlando Sentinel was able to obtain records that had come from one of the consulting firms that was working for FPL. And these records basically showed that uh, these consultants had 
used funds from FPL to help promote these ghost candidates, right? Um, there were also a lot of other things found in those records, which have been able to be verified by Floodlight, by NPR. We've also worked with the Orlando Sentinel and the Guardian about it. But the gist of the campaign finance violation uh, that was levied against um, nonprofit organizations run by people associated with these consultants uh, is that they were secretly funneling money from FPL into these races and that that was a violation of the uh, Federal Elections Campaign Act of 1971. Um, FPL denies this. They say this isn't true and that they're going to vigorously defend themselves against this violation. Um, but in addition to that main issue, which I think every paper in the state has reported on at this point, um, there are allegations that this money that these consultants had from FPL went to uh, buying positive news media coverage at, um, we can say, compromised news sites. Uh, we specifically In terms of what, blogs and... Actually, some of the largest ones in the state, floridapolitics.com. Um, there was another one that, that, that went uh, under uh, called Sunshine State News. Uh, and then there was The Capitalist, which is still working. Um, and actually, the record showed that they outright purchased an option to buy The Capitalist and that Szilagyi himself was writing or suggesting headlines, right, which is a, a major breach of journalism ethics. And, and to be clear, suggesting headlines to the owner or the editors, was this sort of an entire um, operation to get everyone in that particular newsroom involved? It's a it's a small newsroom. And so Szilagyi, the emails that we have show, uh, was, was sending suggestions to the consultants. And then the consultants were making the stuff appear in the paper because they were basically helping with the day-to-day -day operations, uh, you know, and the editor was, was cool with it. Hmm. Um, so that's an issue. Um, we also showed, and we have records that showed, and there's been reporting that, um, these consultants helped FPL fight, uh, a ballot initiative to deregulate Florida's energy markets, hmm. which would have cost FPL quite possibly a lot of money. And that they were also behind, um, that, uh, amendment one, the anti-solar amendment that, uh, positioned itself as a pro-solar amendment. And I think the Herald also showed in, in great reporting that they did that they were playing not just in state Senate races, but they were also playing in county commission races down here. So it's it's a vast network. It's a complicated story. But but at the end of it, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> what? Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Let, let's move to the media manipulation allegations. Mm -hmm. uh, Matrix INC um, is a name that popped up during this investigation. What exactly is matrix inc how would they help power uh companies like florida power and light and alabama power uh on the political field sure so so matrix llc started in 1995 based uh out of montgomery alabama um is a, a consulting firm i think their tagline if i don't get it wrong is they find solutions to problems or something like that sounds innocuous enough um, but really, we found that they were working in 10 states, uh, that they were doing work for Southern Company, for NextEra Energy, which are the parent companies of FPL and Alabama Power Company. And um, the founder of this firm, uh, a gentleman by the name of, of Dr. Joe Perkins, has a PhD in communications theory, right? So he is somebody who is fascinated by and, and loves how media works. 
And what we found is that this firm, while its former CEO was a part of it, Jeff Pitts, um, had been basically running a large media influence operation, three papers in Alabama, three papers down here. Um, And we managed to find direct dollar connections between the papers and Matrix. Um, And in some cases, you know, in the ledgers that we have, you know, these were expenses that were labeled to FPL, right? Um, So that raises a lot of questions. And the investigation that we did took us about five months, um, but you can find it up on NPR's website. And, And yeah, the gist of it was that this money from your power company was floating to these media sites, which then would attack they're critics. Yeah, that's 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 pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about that power. Uh, Next Era Energy is FPL's parent company. Um, are they being held responsible for anything? Well, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, you could make the argument that the market uh, last Wednesday um, rendered a judgment on all of this. Um Last Wednesday was the day that the CEO, uh, Eric Salagi's retirement, was unexpectedly announced. Um, And there was an 8% stock drop uh, in that one day for the company. Now, this is the largest producer of renewable energy in the United States. They also own FPL, which is the largest um, utility by number of customers in the United States. Incredibly profitable company. Um, But if you look at where the... Department of Justice investigation stand. There's no Department of Justice investigation. There's no state attorney's investigations into FPL or Next Era being involved in this. There is no official state inquiry into any of this, into FPL being involved. There are, of course, the trials of the ghost candidates and the people who help them, right? Frank Artila, state senator, uh, is on trial for bribery. Uh, trial may be happening this summer. Um, David Fogel, Eric Fogelsong up, up, up in Orange County, in Osceola, up in the middle of the state. Um, But FPL isn't at the center of this, right? Except in that Federal Elections Commission complaint, which was brought by Crew, which is a a public interest group. Um, It's a very different scenario than what's going on, for example, in Ohio, where the head of the Speaker of the House of Ohio is on trial for a $60 million bribe that he took from the energy company up there, allegedly. The trial is ongoing. It's fascinating. Well, well, let's stay on the topic of right, investigations. Right, right. Uh, Next Era Energy conducted an internal investigation uh, to look into allegations. They claim there were no issues with FPL. Since then, Next Era has hired an outside law firm uh, to conduct a broad investigation to the company's actions. Uh, has any information on their findings been released at all? Not to my knowledge, um, except for what FPL has given us, right? So now we have two internal investigations from FPL. Um, one that was completed by last summer uh, by one law firm that they'd had some dealings with in the past, which we can call an internal investigation, and then another by an external law firm. I don't know the name of the law firm. Otherwise, I'd share it. Um, I have yet to see either investigation. Hmm. What FPL has told us about the two investigations is that one, the first one found that they had no issues, right? They weren't at fault. They'd done nothing wrong. And then the second one, if I recall correctly, had said that they were unlikely to be found liable in the Federal Elections Commission for this stuff that had gone on. But, you know, when you look at the timing, right, you have to ask yourself, wait, why two investigations 
right? When did this second investigation begin? If the first one was done last summer, why did they see a need for a second one? And then does that have anything to do with the CEO stepping down? When asked that by a Wall Street analyst on their earnings call last Wednesday, what the head of NextEra Energy said is, we're not making that connection. And by CEO, you mean Eric Sullivan. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so they're not making that connection, but they're not saying that that connection doesn't exist out there, which is fascinating. Uh, Mario, you've been exploring this story in and out. Uh, what do you think about FPL moving forward with solar energy and other programs? I think it's a fascinating company, right? Like they have this plan to transition uh, their electric generation in Florida to uh, being based off of solar and what's called green hydrogen. For those who aren't in the wonky energy world, green hydrogen is is hydrogen. Hydrogen is a flammable gas that's made from renewable power sources, right? You break up the water molecule with renewable energy. Um, Listen, it's in everybody's best interest if this succeeds, I think, right? Like, we got to bring greenhouse gas emissions down. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. One of the major questions, though, is, is, is this a possibility? Is this real? Green hydrogen hasn't been tested anywhere, right? It hasn't been shown to be successful. Um, so it's a major bet. They're building a lot of gas infrastructure because of it. Second, they've waged a decade-long battle against rooftop solar, which is a tried and tested and true technology, right, uh, which can bring energy prices down and which can also bring down carbon emissions. So they don't like rooftop solar because it hurts their bottom line because they're not the ones who own the solar panels and they're an energy monopoly. Right? Sure. Um, and, so, and before before we go, mm-hmm. I just want to ask you, um, how does all of this in- affect the investigations, what you found? Obviously, we didn't want to get too far into the weeds. Right. How does all of this affect folks in Florida, in South Florida um, in particular? Absolutely. So so at the end of the day, what this means is higher power bills for you, less green energy, period, right? The fact that this company has been able um, to, in the documentation and the reporting that we've showed, influence which lawmakers get elected and which, in turn, lawmakers regulate it and what regulation it is subject to, it means it's very aggressively been able to pursue its own interests. Mario Riza is an investigative reporter with Floodlight News, a nonprofit environmental news collaborative. Thank you so much for your insight and your reporting, Mario. Thank you, folks. It's a pleasure. That would do it for the South Florida Roundup. It's produced by Natu Tway. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Katie Munoz is our director of original live programming. Our director of ex- uh, enterprise journalism is Jessica Bakeman. Matthew Sanchez is digital editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's vice president of news. The vice president of radio and shows technical supervisor is Peter J. Mayers. Richard Ives answers phones. I'm Wilkin Brutus. Thanks for calling and listening. And remember, stay hydrated. WLRN Public Media.